Welcome to Spotlight Conversations with voice talent and DJ Donna Reed. Donna talks music and media from her sunny linoleum-free studio. Come on in. Welcome, welcome to another edition of my podcast, Spotlight Conversations, where we talk to people in music and in media first. Every week, I'm surprised how many more listeners we have. I And they're outside of my family, which is awesome. Had no idea. Thank you so much. People are listening. They're commenting, enjoying the podcast, enjoying our guests. Very much appreciated. If you want to find out more about Spotlight Conversations, I do voiceover work as well. You can find it at my website, spotcom.com. That's S-P-O-T-C-O-M-M.com. Okay. My next guest, a guitarist, singer-songwriter of Raleigh-based band Arrogance. Rod Abernethy, who is my guest today, is joining me in the studio, and he's going to talk about everything he's doing. It's amazing. Rod, thank you for joining me today in the studio talking about music. Oh, I'm so happy to be here to talk with you again. (laughs) I know. It's been a long time. You've always done music. You were in a local band, Arrogance, and Mm -hmm. went off to do other things, too. And then you did... I was looking at um, your website. You do music scores as well for video right. games. How did that, how did you get into that after, you know, being on stage and doing concerts and all that? Oh, well, there is sort of a sequence there from okay. the rock and roll days to video games. But we don't have three days to tell it, but I'll try to tell it as quickly as I can. <laughs> um, after Arrogance, I played in various bands and this was in the mid 80s and do you remember star search i do star search was one of those things um that i never really paid attention to back then and i was working with a record producer in la at the time and then somebody said why don't you go audition for star search i went well i don't know if i want to be on star search and i auditioned and i got on and i went to Hollywood and had a band and they treated us like rock stars for a week and it was really fun and then I lost (laughs) I lost that night the record producer I was working with at the time I went to his house that night after Mm -hmm. the show and he said Rod I love you I love your music but you know you just lost in front of millions of people there's no record company in the world that's going to sign you now And I hadn't thought about it like that. And I went, oh, man, what do I do now? So I went back to North Carolina, literally going, well, I think I'm going to stop playing live. I've kind of done that. And I got offered a job managing a recording studio in Raleigh. And that gave me the chance to um, record my own music and also start composing commercials and for independent film. As it turned out, Star Search gave me that opportunity because when I lost, you know, I, I probably wouldn't have done that. And I did in that same room. It used to be Videophonics. Yes. Well, it used to be Audiophonics. Ray Sinclair, I believe, was right? part of yeah. that, right? Okay. And then it turned into Videophonics. And then I took over the building after a while because they moved to another location. And then uh, video games came up, a local Well, it was actually SAS Institute was making video games in the late 90s. And they asked me if I would do music for one of their games. And once that I did that, I went, okay, I'm hooked. I want to know how to do more. And I went out to the West Coast, looked at a lot of game companies and conventions and just 
you know, went head deep into getting video game scoring music. But how well, different is that to go into a studio and make scores for video games compared to writing a song? Well, it's different and it's not different. But video game scoring kind of took a big change in the 90s and the 2000s. It, it wasn't so much what people thought were electronic beeps and blips and stuff. It turned into music that sounded like film and TV. Uh-huh. And so uh, they wanted people who could do live scoring, live orchestral scoring. They also wanted people who could do music that was adaptive, that could change with gameplay because the gamer in uh, a game changes the storyline and it's different than film because in a film you just have a story and you write music to that mm-hmm. and once you've done it it's edited it's done but in a game it's always changing so it takes a little bit of a n- mindset to do that how long did it take you to do one game music for one game um it depends of course on you know the length of the game um, the average game might have 40 to 60 hours of gameplay, but there might only be 30 minutes or an hour of music. Did you see the video first? Like in voiceover, they show us the video and then we talk over it or with Sometimes it. you see gameplay, mm-hmm. of, uh, video of the gameplay. Sometimes you get to play the game a little bit. But a lot of times the game's not made um, in time for you to the music afterwards. So you have to be in touch with the audio director. You have to know the storyline, uh, style guides of what they're looking for, and milestones. You have to meet a deadline, you know, and kind of like film. Which game did you, you worked really hard on the sound, like you do all of them, but you saw the visual, you heard your music, you were hooked. You were like, this is, I love doing this. This is some uh, of my best work. I guess it was doing The Hobbit. We did a video game for Tolkien Universal, and it was uh, The Hobbit, and it was during the time when Lord of the Rings was really, you know, the movie was really mm-hmm. big. Mm-hmm. And we got that gig, and it happened to win Soundtrack of the Year in video games that year. So I was hooked after that. Are you still doing them? We're going to talk about your music in a minute, but are you still no, working I, in the video? I'm not doing as much uh, video game composing, but I teach how to compose for video games at School of the Arts in Winston-Salem. They asked me to do that about five years ago, which was kind of crazy. I never thought I would teach anywhere. They wanted somebody who could be there, but they also wanted somebody with my experience and how to, how to score for video games. It's really a blast teaching it. Your new CD, Normal Isn't Normal Anymore, I heard it. I love it. When did you write it? I started writing it about two years ago. <laughs> Perfect and, uh, timing. <laughs> yeah, but it, it was all done and in the can before the pandemic hit. It was already mixed before the pandemic hit. So people ask me, wow, you wrote that album during the pandemic, and it really speaks to me. And I said, well, actually, I didn't know it was going to mean so much because I wrote all of that, you know, months and months before the pandemic hit. What inspired you to write it? Touring. About seven years ago, I decided to start playing again and really go at it. And then I started getting gigs across the country, um, meeting people, playing for different audiences, talking to people about, you know, how they're doing. It, it's That's why I love playing so much is mm-hmm. because I get to communicate with the audience. Um, when you're writing scores for games or film or whatever, you're not actually talking to your audience. 
you're just writing music and you're doing it. So when I perform, I usually meet the audience and talk to people. Right, right. And people were having, a lot of people having the same thoughts I was, that things are changing so fast that you can barely keep up with it. Wow. I mean, what, what was normal, or I thought was normal, and yeah, normal never really is normal. I mean, let's face it. But um, I kind of came up with that on the road because normal isn't normal anymore, really with the political scene and climate change and everything, everything. everything. But touring before when you were with Arrogance and and working with Don Dixon, Marty Jones, we'll get to that also Mm -hmm. in a little bit changed we went and did video games and then went back out on the road so that was different that that big, was different yeah the comparison between audiences when you were first starting out compared to today and um, touring and the whole honest honestly music lovers are music lovers and mm-hmm. people that come to see me play or i'm playing for they're there for a reason they want to hear the music and you know sometimes i'm playing a show with other acts and we're all sharing the stage and I, it's not that different, mm-hmm. really. It's just I've told people that it's rare for people to get together in a room and focus on one thing unless they're watching a concert or they're at a sporting event or they're at church. And you have to think about how rare it is for people to gather and focus on something that's really positive and good. Mm-hmm. And music's one of those things, and I really miss that. And that's why I wanted to get back into it. There's one tune on Normal Isn't Normal Anymore called My Father Was a Quiet Man. Tell me about that. Two years ago, I had a, my father passed away about eight or nine years ago. I had a dream that he um, called me, and it was one of those old kitchen phones on the wall, rotary yes, dial with the I curly do. cord. And, uh-huh. and yeah. I picked up the phone, I was dreaming, and, and it was my dad, and he was saying, hey, Rod, and, but he sounded really young. He didn't sound like his 90-year-old self when he passed away. And he talked for hours. Of course, in a dream time, <laughs> you know, it can go really quick or seems like it goes forever. Exactly. But he talked and talked and asked how I was doing and how the family was doing. And I remember waking up that morning thinking, I just talked to Dad. And... But the thing is, my dad never really talked that much. I mean, he was a quiet guy. And when he said something, it he meant it. Uh, he, he was a man of few words. So I kind of came up with that song, you know, during the next few weeks, trying to figure out how can I get this into a song. I also noticed um, my mom's guitar, when I went to your website and was looking around. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's something that I put together during COVID. I think, well, we're still in COVID. I hear people talking past tense mm-hmm, about mm-hmm. it. We're still there. We, yes. we still need to be careful, as everybody Absolutely. knows. But um, I wanted to do something um, on YouTube and have more than just one show. So I thought, I'll take the guitar that my mom bought me as a graduation gift, and I will play songs on that and call it my mom's guitar. And I did about seven or eight of those here at the house and had a ball doing it. Your parents were very supportive of you doing music then. They were, even though they had plans for me to take over my dad's dental practice. I found that out later after I was in college. Later? (laughs) Wow. Yeah, they wanted me to be a dentist. And actually, the funny story is 
after I said, no, I don't really want to be a dentist. I want to graduate in music. One weekend when I was a junior in college, they called and said, we want you to come home. The local locksmith and lawnmower repair guy is selling his business and we'll buy that business if you'll come back to Forest City and run it. <laughs> That's how desperate they were. And I mean, it was sweet of them to offer it, but sure. you can imagine, I mean, I'm like, no, I just want to be a guitar player. Right. I'm and, in the kitchen listening to that conversation almost. <laughs> yeah. And uh, of course, I don't know how I'm going to make a living. And it, it was scary. I'm, I know it scared them. You know, luckily, I've been at it. And I've, I've often told people that music, you don't choose music. Music chooses you mm -hmm. as a profession. And it can be your, in your youth or it can be later on. But it's, it's kind of a calling. The International Acoustic Awards, this year's grand prize winner, goes to you. Where were you when that happened? Well, I, I opened up my email and like, wow, really? Because with many award things, as a musician, you're sending stuff out all the time, you know, to a, this competition or this award or trying mm -hmm. to do things. And you don't really know when that's going to get back to you or if you'll ever know about it. I opened up the email and I'm like, man, I can't believe this. And, you know, I, real, I still can't believe it because there was such good competition in that uh, some really fine artists, and it was really nice of them to choose me, really. And back in 2019, you were winner of the American Songwriters Bob Dylan Song Contest, right? I yeah. Think, yeah, yeah. Dylan was a big part of uh, what you listened to? Yes, and I got that from my brother, Van. Uh, he's about six years older. He has, too, passed away, but I used to listen to my brother's albums, which were Bob Dylan and Beatles Tom Rush. I remember listening to Dylan when I was in junior high, listening to Oxford Town, not really getting it, not really knowing what he's talking about, but I really loved the way he was singing it. And then later on in college, I found out what he was talking about. And then I started playing it. And I think that song means more now than it did back then. It just has a message right. and a delivery and like many of Dylan's songs. And uh, How do you I write a song? An event, the music first, the lyrics? Well, it, it's, it's all of the above. The last album, I think it was, I, I would hear a phrase and then go, man, that's a great phrase. Like, the, you can hear my... He <laughs> loves the phrase, too. And, <laughs> I see him on Facebook. New, He's gorgeous. That's our new dog. Uh, he's a plot hound. Right. His name is Charlie. They um, like to talk. There's a song called It's Always Something that's on the record. Okay. I remember just kind of things were not going well one day and you're messing up with this and you forgot to pay this bill and you do this and I'm like, it's always something. It must be something I did or I didn't do. Well, there's the hook. You just have to pay attention. And, you know, I'm always around with my phone, putting ideas in my phone or writing stuff down. You just kind of have to pay attention and then kind of hone in on it and then come up with a lick or a chord pattern and I love doing it. It's something that I didn't do for years and years. I was writing music, you know, composing mm -hmm. music without words. And this is really different. I'm talking to Rod Abernathy, singer, songwriter, composer, guitarist. Your Raleigh roots come clear just speaking with you today. Oh, thank you. Um, your work with Don Dixon, Marty Jones, Smithereens, Marshall Crenshaw. And I, I see John Tier of Chatham County Line. You've done some work with him as well. Oh, yeah. John is awesome. John... I think John played electric guitar before he played mandolin, and that's where he gets so much flair 
with his mandolin playing. He's an incredible performer and uh, mandolin singer. And that band, anyway, Chatham County Line is such a gem. I love them all. They're great. Now, when I first moved to Raleigh, you were in your heyday, your band, Arrogance, was in its heyday. How did, for listeners who are maybe new to the Raleigh music scene, which is still pretty strong, how did all of you get together to form Arrogance? Oh, that, that's a long story, too, because there are many versions of Arrogance. Okay. And Arrogance, and I'll probably get this wrong, and Don <laughs> and Robert can... They can come in too next yeah. month, and we can bash it out with them, too. Yeah. Um, Don and Robert had a band called Black Death, mm-hmm. and they were more of a kind of a you know Black Sabbath kind of band. Mm-hmm. And that was in Winston-Salem. Then they went to kind of an acoustic guitar with congas and percussion. And then they went to kind of an electric guitar phase. And then they asked me to join, which became the arrogance that was on Warner Brothers. When I left the band to do my thing, they stayed together for a long time as the quartet and had you know success doing that. So this was over, I guess, arrogance was about a 14, 15 year about that. And Star Search, you talked about previously, came in toward the middle of your time with Arrogance? No, Star Search was toward the, it was like 85, 86. It was toward the end of my rock and roll quest to try to, you know, make a stab at the rock and roll new wave scene. Did you do work with uh, Bobby Patterson too? I did. And with Glass Moon, Dave Adams and Glass Moon, I played in Glass Moon for a couple of years. And Bobby was in that band. And Bobby also played with me on Star Search. Um, When you said Glass Moon, I thought, oh, that's Bobby Patterson for sure. Now, after all of this that's going on for you, the um, your songwriting and your music and the accolades, we're still in the pandemic. I know you want to tour, sort of planning to tour at the end of the year or mid or what's going on? Uh, Touring is up in the air as it is with most everybody I know right Mm now. Mm -hmm. People are starting to book things maybe later in the fall. I know that there are concerts outside that are being planned. I don't know if they're being booked. I'm hoping that in a year's time, we'll all be able to go inside and go to a show, you know, and sit in chairs, (laughs) not 15 feet away from each other. It's not the same. How about a new album, new CD? Uh, I'm, I'm working on new songs, but I don't have anything set in stone. I'm still promoting this one. You know, I'm, I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep playing. And I do online shows, which are fun. Yeah. And what is the best part of that, do you think? It's not the same intimacy-wise uh, as a live gig, but... It's kind of hard to explain. It's sort of a private experience when I do it knowing that people are on the other end of the camera, but being able to see chat line, chat rooms. But it's more like I'm really paying attention to what I'm doing because I'm by myself or I'm in a room with maybe two or three other people. Mm -hmm. It's different, you know. Of course it's different than being in a room with 30 people or 300 people. No, and you can't, the the applause is not there. and um, You can't, hear reactions when you say something before the song. I tend to talk, tell stories before I play, and I like hearing people chuckle. Or, But we'll get back to that. We, def- we definitely will. Um, any other future things you've got going on? Trying to train our new plot hound, Charlie. 
It's a North uh, Carolina breed, I think. No, it is. It's the, okay. We didn't know this. It's the North Carolina state dog. Oh, nice. And when we saw the dog, my wife, Suzanne, saw it. We got to go see this dog. Okay, let's go see the dog. So we called them. They were in town. And Suzanne says, what will we name the dog if we don't, you know, if we get it? And I said, I don't know. Suzanne said, let's name it Charlie after your dad. And I went, well, maybe. I don't know. Then we got there, got out of the car, and the woman came out of the house with her mask on and the dog and leash, and she said, hey, guys, meet Charlie. No. Yeah. So it was the universe speaking, and I'm glad we've got him because he, he's very, very hyper, wants to go hunt. So you have to take time you know, with him. But uh, I put his picture on Facebook last I saw week. Him. Uh, our son, Matt, named him Sir Charles of Chatham. Chatham and Massachusetts, Chatham which County. is funny as hell. That anyway, uh, I'm um, editing video, making new videos for the album. I also make these robots that were part of my Kickstarter campaign. You know, got lots to do. I'm just anxious to get out and give people a hug. For someone who's going into music and songwriting, tell me about Kickstarter, too. The, the singers and songwriters that want to go in the music business. What's the best avenue to get uh, into that? You know, Donna, that's a hard thing to... To even try to give advice because it has changed and it hasn't changed over all these years. Mm-hmm. And these days, it's so easy to get your stuff out there on the Internet or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's almost a curse in a way. It's a curse and a blessing because so many people can do that. I would say it's still kind of based on the one to one relationship and networking with people and trying to meet people that mm-hmm. want to hear what you have to say. And it's hard. I mean, it's, it's still hard for me to try to get my songs out there for people to listen to. You can't sell music anymore, really. You have to get out there and try to play to earn a living, which we couldn't do this year. So uh, it takes a lot of ingenuity. And passion and love for and what passion. you do. I think that's a big part of it. But you can do it. I mean, look at Thad Cockrell. He got on Jimmy Fallon. Yeah, uh, I had him in on the podcast about a oh, month man. or so ago. And I mean, it's sort of yeah. like he was going to say, hey, you know what? I love this stuff, but I'm going to go do something else. And then someone yeah. hears him. And I told my PR company, I said, maybe we need to get my music in hardware store. <laughs> <laughs> That's where Jimmy Fallon heard that song. Yeah. And, so where well, can people go to find out more about you and, and when you do tour, where you're going to be? What's your website? It's Rod Abernathy. Dot com. That's A-B-E-R-N-E-T-H-Y. That would be the best place to go. Facebook is fine, but you'll find almost everything there on my website. Thank you for coming in today. And I learned a lot about music today. Thank you for having me and stay safe. I will. You've been listening to Spotlight Conversations with Donna Reed. Subscribe on Apple and Spotify podcasts or your favorite platform. Thanks for tuning in.